I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Question Everything listeners. This podcast is recorded during the coronavirus lockdown. So it's recorded remotely. Hope you still enjoy it. Keep listening. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and actor Dane Baptiste, and my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. Pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... Am I having enough food for breakfast? I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of contemplate what I ingest in the morning. I'm running out of ideas of how to be, <laughs> continue to be creative. I think I've made eggs every single way you can make them. I've, you know, I think I've made scrambled eggs with oat milk. That's how far I've gone. So we are doing lots of uh, different crazy things. I think, and today I just had cereal. Right. Cereal with oat milk. So I guess I'm running out of ideas. That's uh, fine. And, and some fruit. Yeah, but we so ask all the questions, including questions about breakfast. But we ask all the questions about breakfast and all meals and all snacks. And yeah. speaking of a whole meal, brings us to inviting our most esteemed guests. On today's show, our guest is an American-born British singer, songwriter, television personality, dancer, actress, and record producer, which I think we call a hextuple threat. Yeah. Hex double threat. threat. Or maybe, yeah, hep double threat. She initially found musical success in the mid 1980s with the single So Match Show and has had several other hits such as uh, Toy Boy and Right Back Where We Started From. Also, my little secret, I'm including that as well because I love that damn song. It's amazing. <laughs> Altogether, she has 14 international hit singles and three international hit albums as Simon Cowell's very first recording artist. She became known for television appearances on shows such as Loose Women, The X Factor, and This Morning. And in 2011, she took part in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And in 2019, she released a video book of her autobiography of her life story. And it is quite a story. If you don't know already, it is the sensational Miss Sunita Malone. Da, da, da. <laughs> you forgot to say puppy owner. Oh, look and at the dog. Puppy owner and puppy mum to Scarlett. Hi, Scarlett. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember Scarlett? I do remember Scarlett. Hello, Pooch. Good dog. How's the Great Pooch dog. coping with the lockdown? Do you know what? She's loving it because she's so tiny and she still gets to go out for an hour a day. So she doesn't actually realise. She just thinks that I love her so much that I never leave the house now. She yeah. built on it. Scar- Scarlett's a very loving dog. She, you know, we met for the first time at uh, a uh, advanced screening. She came and sat on my lap, spent time. And I'm normally, I have quite an allergic reaction to dogs. Not a severe one, but a little sneeze here and there. Scarlett, yeah. to- totally friendly, totally hypoallergenic. Mm. Perfect. Interesting. Yeah. But um, you did invite us to your show in I Soho. did, yeah. Uh, but Maybe. you didn't put Scarlett on the guest list. I'm very sorry. I mean, I thought that would be a given. You said, make sure you bring Scarlett. I came down, I brought Scarlett, and they said, Scarlett's not coming in. No, I can't. I can only profusely <laughs> apologise for this. And moving forward, she will always be on the guest list. And people understand her importance, that you come as a package. Yes. So we all know this now. And She's the only dog that you love. So, you know, it she- pretty much is the only dog that I love. Yeah. And, and admire. So apologies, Scarlett. I will make better for the tour in future. Uh, Miss Sinise <laughs> Malone, how are you this morning? Are you well? I'm really well, thank you. I'm really well. And I'm really glad that I'm talking to you guys because... 
um, my question is something I genuinely need help with. So. Oh, right. Amazing. Oh, cool. Well, given um, we're, we're aware that you have um, other uh, engagements today, it seems like a good time to crack straight on with some questions, eh, Dane? Absolutely. So as I say, uh, Sunita, uh, as our esteemed guest, we invite you to ask the first question. Okay. Any question you want. I've been um, doing some... Um, like spiritual sort of podcasts, you know, because I was thinking like, you know, I had the virus, so I was upset. My mother was worried and other friends and stuff. So it was quite a sort of time for trying to give people like spiritual hope. And, you know, my mother's very spiritual as well. So I I sort of committed to doing a hundred days of kind of speaking about different scriptures to sort of keep people from feeling, you know, too upset or suicidal and to give hope. I don't know if everybody's uh, um, enjoying that side of me, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, I suppose on the flip side of that, if you're not having a really hard time, then the last thing you want is to switch on and hear Sunita preaching. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so I, my question is, how can I be funny in lockdown? Because I enjoy watching funny people and during lockdown, I, I probably, you know, if I need preaching, I go to, you know, watch the God channel and I get my spiritual fix, but mm. I want to be funny. So hmm. can you make me funny? How long is this podcast? Um, <laughs> yeah. I learned quick. I learned quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, for someone who is, yeah, a heptuple threat, as we refer to it, it's probably not that difficult. I think, the uh, performative and expressive uh, aspects of comedy is something you grasp very quickly. I think, however, yeah, I think comedy, I don't think you can, you can teach the, how to perform comedy. I don't think you can teach someone to be funny. I think it's a natural part of who we are. It, it's taking... Could you write script much, for me? Could you, I, like, I can write a script for you, yeah. Send me, some, or send me something to do every day, like, but not, you know, like by WhatsApp. Like mm-hmm. today, Sunita, this is your funny task. Yeah. yeah. I do that. And then, like, people watch it and they're like, oh, my God, that was so funny. Like, Sneech was really well, funny. Can you kind of coach me? I can, co- I can coach you, but I I, th- I think the thing about comedy is that it's more about finding the funny things about you because uh, it could I think it could be funny because comedy is very subjective. So there might be things that you find funny that some people might not find necessarily funny because even with jokes, they're always at someone's expense. But I, I think it can be funny because funny could just, just be making people laugh. And I think that you're you're a very good mum to Scarlett. For some people, they might laugh at that as well. Uh, very a very good relationship with a dog and, and very in depth relationship. Slapstick, like you know, just something that I could just just do. <laughs> just I do kind of want video content. Yeah. Oh, video content. Yeah. Go um, and just do something. I mean, the, the thing that, one funny thing a day. I know TikTok. Well, here's here's an idea. What you could do is that, given that you have such iconic songs and anthems from the 80s. Now, for those of our listeners who may not be 80s babies or maybe born a bit later, maybe, well, you may or may not know, way before Lizzo and way before Cardi and Lil' Kim, yeah, there was a black icon and a gay icon way in the 80s. Mm. That's what I'm talking to now. And uh, so you could definitely recreate that and... Uh, recreate maybe, those videos. We could help you recreate the videos you made. Yeah, recreate the videos on TikTok. Also, Sunita, uh, I've noticed in your video, obviously our podcast listeners won't notice because it's just, just audio, your your background is green. So we could yeah. we could, we could green screen you <laughs> and you could yeah, be in any place the around the world. That, is, that actually is a green screen. Ah, very good. So I recreate the old videos. Yeah, yeah you I think could, recreate the old, old videos and we can help, help different things because obviously so macho, as a as a narrative now, like masculinity is such a big topic amongst like millennials and discussing the meaning of it. And I think taking the term so macho, and because I, I like, it's quite funny that there was a lot of irony behind so macho in the description of it, because 
what the song's about and then who it resonates with would mm. be a group that you'd be the last people who consider to be macho, which is why it works on two levels. So I think it'd be an interesting uh, conversation piece to discuss it and then have like, and I think it would be nice and endearing because, you know, being such an early 80s gay icon, maybe having TikToks and having, you know, gay following recreate the same thing as well. Mm. So you have a little competition. New generation. Yeah. Exactly. So you reintroduce it to a new generation and because of your background as being a judge on boot camp or an X Factor, you can have a judging panel based on the videos you get sent in. And you have a whole, and you make it a so macho competition. Yeah. And, and then have people coming and you do the dances and then people can send you TikToks and stuff and they'd be doing the same dances. And Well, when, when everyone hears, when everyone sees this on TikTok, they'll know where it came from, right, Dane? They'll know it came exactly. from Exactly, and they'll know podcast. who started it. And then, you know, and, it could even, and then also, especially now where people are dealing with isolation and, and mental health, like having a song like Little Secret and promising to keep it and crossing your heart and hoping to die, I think, again, would be fun for people to be able to confide, like maybe little funny confessions or naughty confessions to you as well. And then you can look at your reaction to it. Oh my God, you should manage me. This is so good. I would, it would be, a, a, be funny. Can I come on tour with you? Of course. You see the potential. Listen, you could easily come on tour with me. I would have to do any promo whatsoever. I just this like podcast went in a very there. different way, Dane, to what it normally does. <laughs> normally you don't start a new super group with your guest, but there we, here we are. No, I would love to do a live, I think, having an opportunity, a live yeah, opportunity. Like to sidekick, it's, you know, like, they always have, like... Miss Malone, there's no back. way that I am, you're going to be my sidekick. Like, <laughs> you recorded with Stop Aiken and Waterman, like, you know... Co-stars, co-stars. Yeah, I, I would just be listening to what you say, and, and you know, and just um, trying to pick your brain about being two generations within, like, you know, the pop industry is, is, is amazing. So I just think... Because oh, I'm Generation Y. My kids call yeah. me a boomer, but I'm not actually a boomer. It's <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you know, you're not Earth a kit. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> um, um, but can I ask a question to, to you, which is, 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 do you feel like a funny person? Like, do you make people laugh in your everyday life? Actually, yeah. But, but, um, the, the truth is, is this, I, ha- it, I would love, I like people taking Mickey out of me. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like, but I grew up when it was like, remember when, oh no, you guys won't remember, but there used to be like these guys, Morecambe and Wise, who were like the sort of. Oh, we know Morecambe and Wise. We remember Morecambe and Wise. Like, Shirley Bassey on singing a song, and then her foot would sort of be in a bucket, and she'd have to walk (laughs) around. You know, I like that kind of stuff. I love Goldie Horn. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And I always wanted to be somebody like that I thought I was going to grow up and be in movies and, and do stuff like that because mm. acting is a big acting is a big current. thing for you isn't it acting's a big was a big part of your life or, or kind of one of yeah. your main yeah. motivations in your I'm, career yeah, well I started off as an actress and it was because I was doing well as an actor that they kind of went oh you know well let's see if she can sing and it was kind of you know let's yeah it's kind sort of, of took off. out of it but yeah. really like acting and comedy and dance is what I wanted to do and I did like stage and Mm. I did musical theatre and, you know, some early movies. But mm. I'd love to do, like, like comedy movies. Like, you know, why isn't there a black Goldie Horn? Or is mm. that Tiffany Haddish? That's probably Tiffany now. You know, there's a, there's a Goldie Horn and there's a Melissa McCarthy and there was a Brett Butler and, you know, you've got Kirsten Wig. So, yeah, there's a Tiffany Haddish, but there should be a Tiffany Haddish and then you've got a Monique and a some more. And, you know, why there should always... Why should there not be an equivalent, you know? I think there's a lot of people doing making good strides, like Issa Rae, and Masai Martin, hmm. uh, Regina King, yeah, uh, and yeah. Regina Regina Hall as well. So 
Yeah, but I, I think you're right. I think I would very much like to see like you know a black comedic actress doing pratfalls and you know doing a lot of slapstick hmm. and stuff and having like a black female equivalent of like a Leslie Nielsen from the Naked Gun franchise. Mm. So, yeah. but I think, but I think you could, I think you could do that. You naturally. could pull it off. You could pull it off. I think, I think you could definitely pull it off. And I think yeah, it's always. Uh, but the thing that's interesting to me is, is, is from a com- comedy perspective, uh, is that you know you're a performer, and I think interestingly. Um, kind of what Dane and, and, and other great kind of stand-up comedians do is is, is channel something inside them that is uh, like their approach to trying to explain why they find the world, how they find it and how they can make people laugh. You know, I am one of many neurotic Jewish men in the history of the world who will self-deprecate uh, and make fun of himself. And that is a long train of people who've been doing that for generations. But your own approach to that, Dane, as I'm sure you'd agree, is, is you have to find your own voice, don't you? And, and that's one of the things stand-ups have to learn to do is find their voice. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the uh, something you learn from experience is the comedic timing and the performative aspects of comedy. But I think... Uh, yeah, your, your own voice is natural. And I think, like you said yourself, you, you'd like to, people take the piss and be able to be like, the, to laugh at yourself. And that is normally, once you can do that, comedy will come to you very, very naturally. I think mm. because it because it means you're being introspective, you can take a look at yourself. And once you can do that, honestly, then that can radiate out to everyone, radiate out from everyone as well. So for me, it was like, just trying to be funny wasn't really my thing. It was like, I used to like talk about stuff, but people think I was kind of moaning. But the way I talk about it, like I'd say to my friend, like I'd describe like a hotel room to him or where I'm staying and at the window and he'd be laughing. So I'm just like, oh God, it's so terrible. What am I going to eat? I'm going to starve. This place is ridiculous. The water's so cold. There's icicles from my flat. And just mm. vividly describing like what seems like pain and I'd be complaining about the minutiae of life that people used to laugh at because I'm like, oh my God, you're so grumpy. And that's how I discovered my comedy. And so it started off about me like having little gripes about small things. And I think, yeah, on a larger scale, it became like more of a social commentary and more satirical. So that was how I allowed my... Yeah, you, you never great. really mocked yourself, did you, Dane? That wasn't the number one yeah. protocol. Like, you know, you were talking to about how you like to make fun of yourself. You know, like for a lot of people, that's an instant way of trying to find humour. Yeah, but initially I didn't. But then as I've my comedy evolved, yeah, having people make fun of me and stuff. Because obviously you can always tell if someone's making fun or they're being disrespectful. And I think most people, if you're, if you're, you know, aware, you know that. So I think, yeah, it's, it's always fun because I think once people make fun and stuff like that, you know, especially in the, in the industry and in that someone's been genuine with you, mm. you're yeah. surrounded by people that are sycophants and people are like just trying to massage your ego. You never really, this person really, never really cares about, they care more about what you are rather than who you are. Hmm. Yeah, so I think yeah, whenever you're yeah. having an exchange of people and people are making fun and you're making jokes and Sunita, even at your expense. What, yeah, Sunita, one question I was going to ask you is, 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 is your book, that, I don't know, is, is, is your book out? You're kind of, I know you're on, working on an autobiography. It's a book, so yeah. it's like a video. Video book. Video so book. have you ever thought, I mean, well, two questions. One, how many um, t- times in it do you think it's funny? And secondly, are you going to take it on tour? As in, are you going to do it live uh, for people? Or? I mean... It's it's not funny for it's not funny yet because um, because I'd had a few sort of yuck moments. Mm. I kind of thought I wanted to get those out first, sure, and also before the before the media got hold of them. Right. And I kind of thought, you know, because my image growing up, I was kind of you know happy, smiley Sunita. So you know, bad things don't happen to Sunita. Mm. And so one of the things was is I wanted to dispel that myth and get the sort of yuck stuff out there first Mm. so it's definitely not funny yet I think it might be funny in some ways where sometimes I'm telling 
quite difficult stories and I'm laughing and I don't even, I don't really know why I'm laughing, mm. <laughs> why I'm laughing. I think it's, it's probably the way I'm dealing yes. I'm dealing with the stress yeah. of it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. But, um, but, um, but there are a lot of funny things as well that I, I, I do want to, to tell as well. I love the idea of going on tour because if I could go on to, I don't see myself as a stand up. No, but you, you see people do do lovely book tours where you'll turn up. Yeah, at, yeah exactly. You know, book tours and, and Q and A sessions. Yeah, and the, I think it's, and, it's, and like I said, the image that you've had and talking about like trauma, I think it's very it's very good because it means you know I think it's always important for people to see that there is that there is that balance that mm. our people might look at the aesthetic and be like, oh my god, Sunita's got a great career. She doesn't age. She's done modern all this other stuff, but you know that adversity makes it so much more relatable, which is very similar to comedy in that it's, I can talk about stuff that I can laugh at, but when people, when I can talk about something that like I said, it's, it's taking maybe a difficult situation and, and using humor to rationalize it. And just as a coping mechanism, yeah. most people relate to that. And they're like, you know what? We all, whenever we're dealing with trauma, I guess we all aspire to get to that point where we can look back and laugh. Hmm. Yeah. So I think anytime you can provide that is always good. And it's the same thing with, with the book as well. I think it's always good to have the live tours and that personal touch always helps. And I think, yeah, sometimes it's the darker side that kind of, you know, is hidden by the lights and the glamour that mm. people understand more because that part, tragedy is something probably people socially can relate to a lot more, whereas like that, these seeing heights of fame is an experience yeah. that we can't all it's share. So Endlessly yeah. glamorous, you know, yeah, all the exactly. always smiling and it's kind of like, you know, in the old days, that's kind of the way uh, performers presented themselves because we didn't, we, we didn't have social media and all of that then. So you weren't on stage all the time like artists are today mm, yeah you know for that occasion and that event and you presented that image because that's what it was for and then you lived the rest of your life pretty much behind the scenes you know you might have paparazzi following you but that yeah. was it and you wrote you signed fan letters and sent it you didn't have that interaction now i think because everybody's on stage all the time you kind of get to see a more rounded um, perspective of who they are mm, yeah. than they did in 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 my day yeah, which I, yeah, which is, I guess is it can be it can be a good thing or a bad thing, and I think yeah, learning comedy again it, it's a very effective way of. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Rather than, like you said, if you don't want to be able to be preachy or appear to like, you know, bring people down because they sometimes come to you for a story of aspiration and a story of triumph that the comedy definitely helps it helps it helps you to rationalize and stuff as well because like you said it's people weren't as open with needing seeking psychiatric help there wasn't the same kind of interaction with social media where you could be open if you were dealing with trauma and people could understand or be able to be sympathetic so i think um yeah to 
answer the question, I think the best way for you to be funny would be for you to be yourself. Mm. I think you're naturally you're a naturally comedic person, and I think you use humor and smiling as a very good way of dealing with like trauma and stuff. And you know that comes from very experience; it's very effective. Well, isn't it? It's very British. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, keeping calm, keeping calm, and carrying on. Yeah, yeah. keeping calm and carrying on, and carrying it's on, a very right. British thing. It's a, and it's, and you know my and being that my parents are also West Indian as well, it's something that's passed on as well. Where like. Uh, culturally, uh, yeah, black people are never that forthcoming about it, especially psycho- psychological trauma. Mm. But never really forthcoming about it. Um, it's always seen as culturally for you to like bury it and internalize and carry on. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's very important because comedy is a very good way of if you want to talk about things that people might find quite taboo and yeah. things we don't necessarily discuss, whether it is something of a psychiatric or psychological nature, then comedy helps with that. So I think the answer is to continue to be yourself. Mm. And let us manage you, clearly. Yeah, let we us have loads you. of good art. Ar- you, you need to set up the book tour. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, get out Did you used to watch, like, um, what's his name, Richard Pryor, old oh. videos and things like that? I, th- I, th- I think they're probably still funny today. Like, Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Stuff. Because, because the thing about it is that, like, comedy, I guess one of the advantages we have over something like music is that, where music, I guess, the focus has always been quite youth-oriented, Whereas yeah. comedy, the merit of it is that the more, the older you get, the more experience you get and the more horizons you see, or they, your horizons become broader just by your life experience. It feeds mm-hmm. more into your comedy because the more you've done, the more you can talk about, which means as uh, your audience gets older and they have new experiences, the stuff you talk about becomes more relatable. So yeah. I remember seeing Richard Pryor when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I used to laugh because he's funny and he says that he's swearing and stuff and he talks about funny stories. And mm-hmm. he's got a funny voice, right? And he's got a funny voice, yeah. Talking about. <laughs> Because, yeah, his delivery is amazing. He's physically, about animal yeah. water. physically yeah, he was amazing. But as I'm older now, it's like, and you're more aware of like Richard Pryor's trauma as a child, and mm. you know, his his yeah. yeah, and you know, you know, and you know, his struggling identity, and you know, it being in America at that time, how he rationalizes that and makes that funny means that that works on another level than when I was a kid. I was thought mm. it was a funny that I was swearing and saying yeah. naughty words, so. Yeah, it's um. Well, we hope we've solved that uh, question for you there, yeah, uh, Peter. We'll, we'll we'll look forward to kind of seeing how funny you are on TikTok and Instagram in the coming weeks. <laughs> um, we're here to advise you, obviously, aren't we, Dane? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, tips. Yeah, I'll try and make you proud. But I'm gonna I'm gonna move to 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 music now because obviously it's it's one of the things that many many people know you for, uh, Sunita. You know, um, I, I was actually looking on your Spotify earlier uh, to oh. see that you still get. Um, about seventy-five thousand monthly listens, which is uh, is is pretty. That's, really good. that's a pretty good number, I'd say. That's pretty good number. Yeah, and um, I was thinking about how um, uh, you know, at the time of recording today, uh, Adele, the lovely Adele, is back in the headlines um, because she's lost a lot of weight. I was looking at that picture, thinking, God, I couldn't care less about what Adele looks like because to me. Adele is that voice, right? She like the voice, isn't she? She's yeah. got that incredible voice, and 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 one of the one of the you know may potentially turn out to be an all-time great female vocalist. So my question to you both is this: mm-hmm. You're going to have to pick one 
all-time great female vocalist, present company excluded, obviously, Sinta. So you're just like a judge, judge, panel, judge panel today. Yeah. <laughs> but if you were gonna, <laughs> if you were gonna pick one, because I, I tell you why, I, I kind of find it interesting. Is it, it, you know, the, the, there's been so many different great female vocalists in 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 so many different eras of the last kind of you know since music has been yeah. recorded. That it's, if you were to, if you were to be stuck with one uh, for the rest of your days, who would you pick? Oh my god, it's a very tough. Very it's very a tough, tough one, and 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 and, and I think. I think it's interesting because you, you obviously start looking at different eras, right? That's the that's the thing. It, 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 and in many ways, what era means the most to you, you know? I'm going to take a punt, first of all. For me, I think, and it's very difficult. I have to caveat this by saying first, but for mm. me, it's got to be Whitney Houston. Yeah. Uh, and I say that because, only because of my era. Um, mm. So when I grew up, and I think because, you know, when I come to, came to this decision, I'm like, you know, I'm considering like Patti LaBelle and Aretha Franklin and, yeah. you know, like I said, Eartha Kitt. And it's just so expensive. But I just think, I guess, pound for pound for somebody that I know had that vocal range yeah. and could do gospel and just the lineage and being that, you know, she's related to Dionne Warwick as well as... The gospel uh, and the pop. She could do everything. In and she, could do, she could do the pop in between as well. Mm. And then, you know reinventing herself and recording like we're doing produced by Dark Child and then doing work with George Michael and then she did the whole collab and the song with like Kelly Price and Faith Evans so it would have contemporary like R&B songstresses she did the Prince of Egypt with Mariah Prince of Egypt with Mariah as well and yeah didn't, and I think, Shaka I think was, I'm Every Woman yeah, Shaka, yeah and that was amazing as well that remake and to do to even stand try and stand toe to toe with Shaka Khan vocally as well and be able to do it. And be able to do it, yeah. So this is why I'd say Whitney Houston. And then, yeah, and then even... Do you guys think that Whitney Houston's um, music career... You know, in, in in now we we reflect back on it with some distance. It, it, it's it, the the distance between you know it, its glory days. It's changed the way we look at it, Sunita. Do you feel that's helped us respect it more? Um, well, not not for me because I mean I literally wanted to, I wanted to be Whitney. I hmm. wanted to be Whitney's best friend. I was obsessed. Hmm. Yeah, uh, with her. So, you know, she couldn't be any higher to me um I, I i really struggled with the sort of fall from grace because mm. of my personal life and stuff because yeah. she was such a queen to me that i just I, I found it hard to bear um seeing her kind of on her knees mm. yeah, yeah. I, I i get it but i and i and i don't know for me and i guess i romanticize it a lot more is that it's almost as if there always has to be that duality and that darkness just to almost justify the talent. Mm. Yeah. But it's you know, interesting though. Not be that beautiful, sing that well, mm. yeah. and not have I, something wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think if you look at most of, you know, the people that we look up to the most and we think about the turmoil that they're dealing with behind the scenes, mm. it's almost as if that darkness kind of fuels the beauty. Because, you know, if you, if you and the... Uh, yeah, Amy Winehouse. But know. it's interesting comparing Amy yeah, Winehouse exactly. to Whitney Houston in a way because Amy Winehouse's kind of tr- troubles, should we call it, were, were so yeah. baked into the persona that she presented to the world in some ways. I think when you yeah, saw more her, like a Billie Holiday, right? Yeah. Yes. Whereas Whitney, I think the era that she was, you know, most recognised for, those troubles were quite far away. They weren't. They weren't certainly part of the presentation of of this character. So that's why I think in her death sadly we we maybe have maybe to marry together this this lifespan that she had that was remarkable you know absolutely remarkable woman yeah. 
Yeah, she definitely have to be up there. She and definitely so up much there. so because I, I think and you, you might be able to confirm this, uh, Sunita, because I, I feel like when Simon Cowell became aware of like Leona Lewis, and I think he saw the potential she had, and you know, it was yeah. like the only person I can think of who would be able to understand your voice and how to realize the best out of this would be like Clive Davis. Because, yeah. you know, I remember Clive had had previous work with uh, Alicia Keys as well, and Mariah and Whitney. And I think that's they were like, if you're going to be a vocalist of this magnitude, then that's probably the best person. And I think they tried to follow the Whitney Houston blueprint. So, but let's say that obviously there's honorable mention, like I said, because that was my decision. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's a good choice, though. No? Yeah. Because, you know, like I heard Patty LaBelle recently when she did, you know, the song Stir It Up from the Beverly Hills yeah. soundtrack. Yeah, and again, yeah. it's like the the vocals are just insane. And even when they did uh, the Ghetto Music by Outkast, right, and they right. had a sample from Patti LaBelle, uh, and Patti LaBelle as well. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> most most epic rom coms, if they not if they don't have one song from like Anita <laughs> Baker or Aretha Franklin or Patti LaBelle, you just think, are you? Is this even a rom com? Yeah. <laughs> like, without without like strong black women balladeers, like. Bridget Jones wouldn't even wouldn't be a franchise, I don't think. <laughs> like all the main parts are underscored by like a, a black balladeer. Yeah. And I just think, yeah. Yeah. There's so and, many and, great and, great names just, to pick through, isn't there? Yeah, it's like I said, there's been so many of them. It's like, you know, I think like black women female singers have been the soundtrack for the LGBT journey, as long as I can remember. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, if you think about like Donna Summer. Yeah, Love like Donna Summer. Isn't it like yourself, like yourself, and Donna Summer. I remember that in the eighties, the Weather Girls. Gloria Gaynor. Gloria Gaynor, exactly. Yeah, not Gloria Gaynor. So like the Weather Girls and stuff as well. So yeah. yeah what is it about black women and gay men? <laughs> that should have yeah. been your question. <laughs> yeah. 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 I used to say that I thought that they thought that I was a boy in drag. <laughs> quite skinny what do you think it is a bit muscly because i dance so i just think oh, they just i think i think you know there's part of the aesthetic that they kind of admire i think i right. think that's uh you know there's something about the uh black woman archetype that i think a lot of people find aspirational where it's like it's that strength in femininity but like i said it's that also that uh there's certain quasi masculinity in terms of being like having like good muscles and, and structure as well like you know hmm. Whether it's like yourself and in, in like so macho, or even like Grace Jones as well. Oh come you know? on! Just yeah, yeah. This is like, this is what I mean. It's such a hard Thank question you. because Grace Jones, I'm sure, oh, it was only like five years ago she was singing while with a hula hoop. That- yeah, <laughs> didn't, didn't miss a beat. Like you know, and she's been a Bond woman, a model. Yeah, like you know, great. And it's to this an day, amazing, Grace Jones um, is still flawless, flawless appearance. Yes. It's yes. such an amazing mix of people to think about, you know, and that's part of the reason I wanted to pose the question because it, it kind of remind when I was thinking about it, it reminded me of what an incredible wealth of talent has existed. And I, I actually had no doubt in my mind who to pick, really. Uh, and Dane's already uh, mentioned her, which is which is Aretha. You know, I think Aretha Franklin is the most kind of seminal kind of performer and story that's ever uh, happened really. And, and, and the kind of breadth of her work, when you actually look back on it and, and, and seeing her pick, you know, cause obviously as with so many performers, you have a, 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 a big push as your success grows and then you get the chance to make choices, right? You decide, what do I want to do, you know? And you kind of, if you look back on what she did, um, there's moments where in later life, she did, did some incredible stuff, right, Sunita? 
and always, always got it right. Right? She mm. did. She didn't make any mistakes. Yeah. Have you, have you heard Aretha Franklin's <laughs> version of um, "Rolling in the Deep" mm. by Adele? Mm. It's really good. Yeah. She does, yeah. So she performs live, and I think Adele's even there when Aretha Franklin performs and she does a cover of it. And again, it's like. Wow, that must have blown her mind. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like, it's just that, that like I said, it's that vocal range. Just, well, uh, do you know what? The, the greatest clip I've ever found of Aretha Franklin, and obviously you can go back and you can dig deep into the, the 60s and find these incredible performances where she's so, um, like almost like no one's ever seen this type of performer before because she's so strong and so powerful and up there. so different for the day because it was in the times of the Supremes and you know, black women being sort of very refined and mm, uh, yeah. being very stylized, you know, Diana Ross and the Supremes, that kind mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. And she was just like raw and soulful and bringing it. Well, and, she? Yeah. and she almost had this kind of like, a, a, a power is one way of describing it, but it's almost like a kind of, fuck you. <laughs> this is what I'm, you know, like you listen to Respect and Think, these are songs where she's, being quite aggressive in a spirit was bringing through her. Mm. You know, I feel like yeah. she's just a vessel communicating what everybody was feeling, and absolutely. she's bringing it on all of our behalf. Mm. It's, uh, absolutely, and and yeah, it's a that's a great way of describing it. It's when you know a, a performer they almost transcend the idea of being a vocalist and they're an instrument unto themselves. Mm. I don't think you're going to find another person that sounds like Aretha Franklin. I don't, you know. Well, the one like... clip that I, I, I will share with Dane and he'll send it to you, uh, Sunita, uh-huh. and we'll put it on social media for our, for our followers and our listeners to find. But yeah. she performed at Carol King's kind of, um, they did a big celebration of the work of Carol King, who's obviously an incredible songwriter. And um, yeah. obviously Carol, Carol King wrote, um, makes me feel like a natural woman, right? That was her original. Yeah, yeah. But then Aretha's version, I would argue we say is the most famous version of that song. Yeah. Oh, easily, yeah. And the the performance is honestly, Brett, like I'm, I'm getting kind of emotional kind of thinking about it because, you know, she comes out and sits down and, you know, but she's, she's in her late 50s at 60. I don't know if she might, maybe I can't, I don't know exactly what age she was, she, but she's, you know, n- not, you know, in her 20s anymore, obviously. And she sits yeah. down at the piano and to see her start playing this on the piano. I've never even seen her play piano. Well, that's what kind of blew my mind. And she's got this big yeah. fur coat on. She's got this massive fur coat on and she sings it. And the, the, the big show starts happening around her. And there's the, so, the song Peaks. Uh, she gets up and starts really going for it. Obama's in the crowd. Obama's wiping away the tears and she takes off her jacket as she's peeking in this song and she's, you know, wearing this beautiful dress as this kind of, you know, older statesman, stateswoman. It's, it's an incredible, incredible thing to witness. Wow. And just kind she of almost... That. that sounds amazing. Well, it's incredible to think that she could be doing that so many years after she started and that's in some ways how I judge the... Yeah, the, the, yeah just reigning, just forever yeah. longevity. Yeah, eh? it, 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 for me, it's like the fact... It's, yeah, it's, you're almost grateful that we live in a time where that could be uh, committed to something like uh, record or vinyl. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, that's that's like, you know, that's for me, you know, that's, that's as important as like, you know, the paying the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her, 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 the way she performs music, like, that's a feat of like, you know, human strength that yeah. needs to be recorded because yeah, that's... Every opportunity, yeah. every opportunity she turns into a moment, right? It's mm. Yeah, exactly. Coming to do something with that vocal, not to just make a performance. It's yeah. like yeah. coming to change the world or change lives. But yeah, listen, so emotion. And- we've had Aretha and, and, and Whitney. I don't know if you've got anyone else you want to throw into the mix, Anita. You obviously, okay, you you know obviously love both of them, so, you know. I love, I love, I mean, I would have said Whitney too. Yeah. Um, 
but I was kind of struggling because obviously I grew up, you know, hearing Aretha and mm. all of those. And, you know, I thought I'm going to put Tina Turner in the mix. Oh, um, oh good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Good choice. Back, good choice. Came back big yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Private dancer and all of those. And just like good choice, good choice. Career, Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. Reinvented again and again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny as well because like a lot of time, when we talk about the contemporary uh, icons of music and, you know, people that mention like, you know, Beyonce's and, you know, you have Jennifer Law, uh, Jennifer Hudson and stuff as well. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And what people always t- do is that whenever Beyonce does come up in that conversation, always likened to Tina Turner. Who oh, she seems to be most reminiscent of. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because know. the dance and everything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When What's Love Got To Do With It came out, it was as, had as much cultural impact as like the Malcolm X movie, like in the nineties. Yeah. I remember like. I and, something about that movie. Yeah. I was down to the last, I was down to the wire, me and Angela Bassett to play Tina. Ah. And, and the director, I can see it. I can see it. Definitely. Said, we almost chose you, but we just thought you were too young. And you know what? I ruined it for myself because they gave me all the really difficult scenes to do for the screen tests. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the scene where I beaks her up for the first time and when she's going and when she's talking to her mama. So they gave me all really big emotional scenes and I nailed them. And then I thought, oh, you know, because Tina was really young when she first started out. And I thought, oh, gosh, maybe I've been a bit too hard because I was trying to prove that I could bring that, that I wasn't just like little silly Sunita. So when it came to the part where they just wanted me, I'd seen them about six times Hmm. and been giving more script each time, each time. So when it was the last thing, all they wanted me to do was sit on camera, talk about, introduce myself and talk about myself. (laughs) So I thought, oh, I better show a bit of, softness and show that I am still young. Yeah. Um, and oh, such a shame. Even my mother was up to play my mother bec- and she did oh, the wow. because my mother's an oh, actress as well. Yeah. So we would have looked a lot, everything. And I went, um, hi, my name's Sunita. I'm 18 years old and, um, and, and played it all kind of shy, but on purpose. I wasn't really feeling that shy or anything at all, but because I thought, oh, all I've shown is strength, fight, strength, fight, yeah. scream, shout. I need to show that I can be vulnerable. And they haven't given me any script to show that, so I'll do it here. And it lost me the part. They just said, you were amazing. We were like, oh, my God, this kid, this kid, this kid. And, you hmm. know, I had records out at the time, so I was always yeah. known. And they said, and then when we got the clip, and we realized how young and vulnerable you were. Hmm. We just thought, ah, oh, she's not going to be able to carry this. It's going to be too much. And they gave it to Angela. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. She did an amazing well, job. We did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, she did very well. Totally made me, you know what I mean? Oh, hmm. for sure. Yeah, that, yeah, it was, it was yeah. Uh, so you see what you said about being yourself. Don't even, don't even fake it when you think you're absolutely doing yourself a favor you're not you know absolutely well yeah lesson learned but yeah great movie iconic movie and uh you know even i lawrence fishburne's portrayals i thought was yeah yeah it was great for ike turner yeah Yeah, well um, those are three amazing tina turner whitney houston and aretha frank i think we've done good you know all and all like you know, first God, generation so, ladies. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly, all first generation ladies. And uh, yeah, and we all know there is a litany of people for honorable mention. So, for listeners, when you see this, if you can think of any more. Yeah, talented, let's open this out. I mean, let's, let's open, open this out. out We're going to get a few shouts of Sunita, I imagine. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, and if we don't, we're not worried about it, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, thanks for answering the question, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I brought that up because it's been, yeah, it's been on my that. mind for Maybe a while. Maybe put on some music now. I want to play oh, music. I'm going to send you the clip. I'm going to send you the Aretha clip. You're going to love it. It's I'll amazing. Playlist as well. But let's, um, let's chuck it over to Dane for the final question of today's episode. Yeah, so, I mean, the final question... So, the last question relates to the question I wanted to ask. Um, and obviously, as I said, Steve, I, I'm more than aware of who you are and, and your... Uh, iconography within British music um as I'm sure you're aware now like uh last time I was on the tube station uh, Apple were doing advertising and yeah I was kind of slightly emotional because I was looking at advertising and I've seen the acts that they were using to push Apple music in the UK and there was like Santan Dave and Stormzy and Freddo and uh Skepta and Georgia Smith and it was almost all around it was like you could see members of the diaspora and young black kids who were the face of British music. Yeah. And I was, and for me, I was like, you know, it's amazing to even see this, even at my age. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of strides that have been made, but then I've also kind of always had to be like a music nerd and try and champion or at least pay attention to music in the UK. And I feel like a lot of people walked and crawled so that the kids of today can run and be involved as mainstream and because we considered mainstream acts. Yeah. And uh, I say that because you know I remember when you were coming, you were you were around. There was yourself and being very prolific, and there was also like I remember the Pasadenas and Rochford and Mel and Kim. And yeah. I might not have the lineage right, but I do. I remember definitely yeah, remember yeah. the names in the videos. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you if you feel uh, Britain is good at recognizing its black musical icons. Wow, do you know? I think definitely better now. I yeah, mean, I think the Brits this year. Was probably the best I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh my gosh, who was the kid who he didn't win, but he did the he did the. Uh, oh, uh, Santan Dave. Santan Dave. Yeah, Dave did the uh, thing with the piano and that guy. Yeah, he showed he he. he and he showed a great he showed Grenfell and stuff in like the projection. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. I mean, I was so emotional about that, and I I I. I feel like black artists are the ones who help really move the Brits to that place. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in yeah. the old days, the Brits was about how drunk you got, how how many disasters, you know, technical malfunctions and, you know, how drunk the presenters were. And it, it just was meant to be balmy and chaotic. Yeah. And suddenly it just seemed so dignified and heavyweight. And, you know, it was lovely to see um, Nana Cherry's little girl up there, Mabel. Yeah, Mabel's all, yeah. But it, it, it was, um, I, I do think that it's a lot better now. I think it's a mm-hmm. lot better. And then- What was it like, Sunita? What, what did it used to be like for our listeners? Yeah, because, might I, know. I, because I feel like... It could be like one, two people. Yeah, I remember from the, like, the Looking Magazine days, it'd be maybe yourself and like maybe Five Star, who I remember. Yeah, Five Star, me. Remember yourself, the Pasadenas. And, and I think you'd only, I mean, maybe later... Early in '90s, there was like a little play with like a resurgence of like the reggae, and you had like you know Biggie McLean, Aswad, and, and Maxi Priest, and what's his name, Terence Trent Darby. Terence Trent Darby as well, yeah, I remember him as well. Um, yeah. yeah, but that, I mean, I remember that it used to be such a big deal. It, it didn't matter if you were selling more records than anybody else to be able to. to get onto the cover of Smash Hits, which was a big pop magazine at the time. Yeah, remember, yeah. It was such a big deal to me that I still have my, I have framed covers of, of, of Smash Hits 
you know, I, I made it twice, but in my whole career, mm-hmm. because it just wasn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't the thing. And, and, and it was yeah. very, in those days felt that, you know, a black face couldn't sell magazines. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's how I felt. Yeah, it was. Gamble, you know, being on the cover of Vogue. I mean, I actually have all these covers framed yeah. as, if, as if it's never going to happen again. Like it's happened no, once, but it's, and it's never see it again. So I actually have all those black women's covers still. In my I cover. think I think it's really important. I think I think that was always a. Uh, I mean, growing up and now being involved, yeah, definitely seeing someone that represented your aesthetic. I always felt like. The British iconoclast, you know, at a certain time, growing up in the 80s, you count them on one hand. I mean, it was like, yeah. maybe, maybe a soul. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, you've got... Yeah. Now you're spot for choice and you can, you just, yeah. so many... Even the British editor, it. you know, being a black of man. Of Vogue, yeah, the black man now, yeah, as well. And like, you know, and then you see someone like Oswald, Oswald Boteng as well and how he's risen in prominence. And, but you know, like I said, at the time, it was like, I mean, like yourself and maybe Naomi, hmm. Frank Bruno. But it's kind of interesting to ask, uh, to, you know, quite directly Sunita if that's okay you know what how overt was that racism or was it kind of under the surface I mean it was kind of it was it was sort of both like for example so macho when so macho first came out it was a a pop it was a pop record obviously it was a pop record but music was even segregated on radio stations in those days when we had the record with my face on the cover People would send it, you know, the pluggers sent it out to the radio stations. Radio stations would see the picture and go, oh, okay, black girl, send it to the soul division. Mm-hmm. And somebody like Greg Edwards or somebody would get it and sort of go, oh, oh no, this is pop. Send it back to the pop division. The pop division would see my face, not even put the record on and send it to, and, you know, oh, well, if it's not, okay, soul have sent it, or maybe it's gospel and they'd send it someplace. And this went round and round and round. We had to release the record twice until finally Simon said, you know what we're going to have to do? what we're going to have to take your picture off of the cover it's your face that's stopping this record from wow selling. remember thinking oh my gosh am i that ugly so they took my picture off and put a cartoon of a medallion man on the front of the record mm-hmm. biggest selling single of the year wow that's an unbelievable story <laughs> that i mean yeah. you know that that era of the industry obviously people now only understand kind of Spotify or, you know, but that's the, the, there's a very limited music industry. But back then it was as simple as sending stuff to people, right? Yeah. And, 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 and you know, you had your sort of acetate, your vinyl record and you'd send it in. But I don't know if that was actual, that was an actual racism. It was more that music was segregated. So the pop people weren't used to a, a black face singing pop music, you know, unless you're mm. Michael Jackson or Jack yeah. Jackson. Um, yeah. But, you know, British artists, even though I'm American, I was a British-based uh, artist, you know, you, it must be soul or jazz or gospel. And, you know, they wouldn't even bother to take it out and play it and then go, oh, well, yeah, it is pop. So once they heard it and heard it was pop, people loved this record and it went everywhere. And then when yeah. I came out as being the face behind it, it was almost like a, a phenomenon because that doesn't happen. Like, you, you're supposed to stay in your lane musically. Mm, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, the pigeonhole thing seems like it makes a lot of sense. I think, especially, and, and it's interesting, like I said, because you were highlighting issues and, you know, being a gay icon at a time when people weren't really that vocal about embracing the gay community as fans. Yeah, and performing uh, in gay clubs and everything. But yeah. I have to say, Dane, there was a bit of a, you know, the black community weren't really sure what to think and what to do about me when I was uh, 
Yeah, I could, no, I could, that's good, which is what why I wanted of, to ask you about it. Yeah, what kind yeah. of background do you have? The racism was more coming to me from that direction. Oh, I can imagine because you mentioned, it's interesting you mentioned, you mentioned about the pigeonholing because I watched uh, the biopic for Whitney or watched uh, the documentary. And mm-hmm. when I was a young black kid, I was like, when I remember seeing the video for like, I want to dance with somebody, which is very reminiscent to like Macho Man. It's like, I was like, this isn't amazing. But you watch it and she was, like I said, she was kind of ostracized from the black community because of this whole pop thing. At the time, yeah, it was, it was, it was, on popular, if I had to do a a, a PA mm-hmm. in a black club, you, you know, there used to be a bit of anxiety around it because imagine, they're yeah. just going to stand there and kiss their teeth and look at me. <laughs> even if I sing my heart out, even if I dance my butt off, and even if yeah. I'm good. Even if you show them the numbers and they know how much you're earning from having like a number one single, like it's in the club. Like, oh, you sell out, you're a coconut, and it was yeah. all stuff. Whitney Houston got booed at the, I think it was the Grammys, she was booed at the Grammys by like black artists as well. And it's, it's you know, it's like it's like even I look at it now where it's like now everyone celebrates like Will Smith is on like Instagram. Yeah. But when Will Smith was like recording, again, summertime, like, all of that, it was yeah, like it's corny, it's corny, it's corny. It's fresh prints, and it was like it's pop, you know, music. But yeah. you know, I I when growing, I wanted to be a combination of Diana Ross and Madonna because those were the <laughs> that you know, I grew up on that, and then course, Madonna was killing it, and I like yeah. I found her songs catchy and cool, and all of that. But it's so but funny, you look, you look at Madonna, and you realize that like how influenced again, she was influenced by African Americans because Vogue, Vogue, uh, all in the yeah, yeah. you know, Vogue and whole thing with Paris, the documentary like Paris is Burning. For anyone who's not aware of it, if you want to know the origin of like Voguing and a lot of Madonna's aesthetic from the time. Like she, even she, she's from Detroit. She was actually she used to be the support act for my mom because my mom's like a, <laughs> wow, and she's from Detroit. You know, home of Motown. So she grew up. You know, she was a street kid. Grew up in all of that stuff. So right by it. You, can tell, you know, Madonna. Madonna took the risk of. You remember she depicted uh, the, the model uh, Leon as a black Jesus in like a prayer. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, she did definitely yeah, had influence yeah. there. She was very early. You know, she was with uh, did the Playgirl with Big Daddy Kane, and then you know, was with Dennis Rodman. Yeah, hmm. uh, yeah, definitely was uh, doing her part as an ally. But yeah, that's what the reason I asked you because, like I said, I imagine because it's something that as a comic I've not necessarily struggled with, but I was aware of it as well because I've worked with black comics who are like they don't really perform in black rooms because they feel certain subjects or might be their sexual orientation means that they find themselves at adversity with a larger black audience. Yeah, but um, I feel like today, more than ever, everybody's kind of, it's like the door is open. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Allowed to come through. And it's like, thank God to survive those times because it was it was just really strange, especially because, you know, as a dark skinned black woman as well, I found which is, it. Uh, yeah, it was another, another very, very, very iconic. I be a, a coconut. Like, how can I? Yeah, very iconic. It's not like I'm trying to pass for white or something. So it was very... It was very confusing, especially being young at the time, but you just kind of, you know, I just kind of smile and get through it. But um, I love it now because now when I meet uh, women my age who are like in their 50s and some of them, they'll kind of go, oh my gosh, you know, you were the first record I bought when I was a little girl. So it's like, you know, it did connect on on some levels. And I think it was just maybe a generation older who were a bit threatened, who sort of felt like, Hmm. don't you understand what we've been through? And thinking that you're letting go of your culture and your values yeah. somehow by singing 
mm. you know, this music. Yeah. That kind of, but, you know, rock and roll, they thought was the devil's music. It's like, you know, hmm. I think different generations struggle. You know, I'm like that with some rap music, you know, I don't want to hear yeah. any bitches in the holes and everything. But yeah. you know, I think that's that's my my generation. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, all, it's, it's always, it's always going to be the endeavor of your next generation to be counter to be countercultural. so if your parents felt they were a lot more repressed they couldn't do certain types of music then as a younger person you're going to be like well that shouldn't be closed off to me because i'm influenced by this and i should be able to be within that slot as well and yeah and that's the reason i asked because in the same way that we spoke to like we had emil heskey on the show as well mm. and you know and you know he dealt with a lot of uh some level of vitriol like yourself and people not we felt undervaluing his contribution to football and he said you know i don't really mind because as long as people like myself, it resonates with them. And I found it out, then I'm absolutely fine with it. So, yeah, it's, it's great. Like I said, it's a... Uh, and the sure gay you- community, it's like, you know, people yeah. get from Christians. Like, how come you hang out with all these gay people if you're supposed to be a Christian? Hmm. It's like... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, and you know the idea is that you're supposed to love everybody, so it's, it's a great example. And uh, we, all, I know, and obviously more evolved minds know now that you know your faith and your sexual orientation are not mutually exclusive. There's not no reason for one reason you can't be the other. And I think it's the best example of Christianity is to love somebody who, whoever they are, and uh, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. That's it. And also. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, uh, Christians. Without gay guys, then you don't have any gospel music. Not to that level. Hmm. You know what I mean? And also, how do they know that one of the disciples wasn't gay? Because they said that Jesus hung out with tax collectors, uh, murderers, thieves, like all those guys. They weren't like all those self-righteous good guys. He hung out with- There's no way that 12 straight men can organise a dinner for themselves. Somebody had to cook. Someone had to, somebody had to be gay for all these men to be well dressed up. Twelve men to go to the same meal and have an organized meal to get there on time is incredible. To get there on time, straight men don't do that. It's like oh, it's just, like that Last Supper is the most feminine WhatsApp group party I've ever seen. <laughs> Everyone, we're gonna all sit on the same side for the pictures and. Jesus is going to turn some water into wine, so we all save some money. So everyone chip in their silver. And then Judas was like, I'm not chipping in my silver. He thinks he's too nice. So, you know, I just, yeah, because yeah, I, yeah, but I don't, that's why it's, um, I'm definitely aware sometimes that if you are, if you exist outside of dominant culture and then you make your mark with it, you do tend to find, I guess, sometimes people from your own group or your own uh, culture will be like, you're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I think that kind of, that expectations, kind of isn't it? Always the same. Exactly, yeah. People's always expectations. expectations. I think you can always, by doing that, you by trying to conform, then you kind of limit the potential for everybody. Like I said, because if you, like I said, for, for, even though you may feel, people might think, oh, well, she's singing pop. Like you said, for a young, dark-skinned black woman out there, just seeing someone that looks like themselves can be so important for people in terms of self-image and mental mm. health and stuff. And like we yeah. said, the many times that, in the podcast. That makes it worthwhile. And I love yeah, it now. It like I, I, don't, I don't feel stigmatized or ostracized at all now because I think people have sort of grown up and realized and realized, wow, that was tough. Hmm. Is there like a sense of like, you know, accomplishment when you see like a Alexandra Burke or a Fleur, uh, a Fleur East uh, yeah. and uh, like a Leona? Yeah, exactly. Because now, you know, because I guess you've, you've get to interact with them directly and you can see now that now that oh. it was open, like you're seeing, you know, or you see like, you know, a Leanne Pinnock in like Lil Mix and stuff. And now you're seeing a lot of more black pop that can now, you know, unashamedly embrace this type of music. Free and can just do their thing. And yeah. it's 
so nice because you just you know you just watch them fly so Sunisa it's a wonderful answer and uh, make no mistake we definitely considered you an icon and you are queen recognised in time and sometimes it takes time for people to recognise uh, when they see something new and innovative so thank you very much for coming on the show as I said you have uh, new, new work and the new single out so please can you tell our audience where we can find out your new stuff and to find the book and where they can still find out your, all your amazing works please Amazing. Okay, so if you're looking for some spiritual inspiration, you can see my series, um, 100 Days of Favour, on my Instagram series, which is the at the Sunita official. Um, and then I have um, the book, which is a video book, but like I said, it's all the um, the difficult stuff so far. That's on my website at sunita.com. And then uh, Paradise is my new single, which is a cover of um, the amazing Sade's song um, with some references to Donna Summer and some references to Diana Ross in there and it's available on all the sort of Spotify Spotify, iTunes streaming platforms SoundCloud and the like what he said what he said excellent and we'll we'll, we'll get if with your permission we'll put a little little clip up on this as well Um, yes please show some of the video I'd love to be happy to do that we will uh, share with the masses Sunita thank you for coming on our show it's been amazing thank you so much we know you're very busy uh, so we'll leave you to continue with your day but Miss Maloney is an absolute pleasure you are an icon and thank you so much for coming on the show thank you so much take care guys and, 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 and we'll talk to you about the book tour yeah, book tour coming. Oh, for sure. And and we'll be back. We'll be back with well. that. We'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Have a nice day. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him at DaneBaptweets. Our guest was Sunita. You can follow Sunita on Twitter at Sunita Official or on Instagram at the Sunita Official. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at the Howard Cohen. Thanks to Polly and Gelly. Hey, if you like what you've been listening to, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thanks for listening. And remember, question everything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.